follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen. And we'll set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Hello. Welcome to our second show on coaching teams for sustainable performance. You are listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life, and I'm your guest host, Chris Wall, sitting in today for Kate Ebner of the Nebo Company. I'm a master certified coach. I coach executives and teams. I'm an organizational consultant, and I'm the creator of the coaching program at Georgetown University. So today we're going to be talking about teams uh, as a continuation of a show that we did a couple of weeks ago. Most of us have been on teams we know, and we've been successful on teams, and we've been also on teams that may have struggled to get along and to get the work done. And we know from experience and from business data that organizations turn to teamwork more and more as a way of getting extraordinary results. Today our focus is on the teams themselves, picking up where we left off, and on what leaders can do to create high-performing, truly engaged, what we call real teams. I'm delighted to be hosting this show this morning because the conversation we started in June was really interesting and there was a lot more to, to explore. Our guest today is Alexander Kaye, who was with us a couple of weeks ago. He is a colleague and a friend. Alexander is the founder of a Boston-based firm called 1215. This is a firm that's dedicated to helping leaders and leadership teams achieve their desired results by focusing on the business aspects and the people aspects of change. Alexander has worked with teams in many different types of organizations, including Fortune 500, 100, and NGOs, and he teaches as an adjunct professor in the Georgetown University Leadership Coaching Program. He and I often work together in the domain of teams, with corporate clients, and with coaches who wish to work with teams. Alexander is a treasure trove of information, having worked for two decades and having studied numerous fields besides teaming that enter into his whole understanding and how he works with teams. Alexander, I'm delighted to have you here. Welcome back. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure. Yeah, great. So, um... Alex, during our first radio show, you and I talked a lot about team coaching. You are a team coach. And we also talked a little bit about what a coach or a consultant needs to be able to be and to do to become a team coach. 
We also touched on what makes a high-performing team, and yet there's so much more to say. So I was thinking we should start with that, Um, and that is, what is, foundationally, how do you define a team? Okay. Great place to start. So it's great to be back, Chris. I'm, I'm happy we're doing a second show. There's there's so much to to explore and share on this topic, as as you've as so well know. Um, you know the, the the definition of a team. There are many definitions, and and the one that I use is actually a derivative of a definition that was coined by Katzenbach and Smith in the Wisdom of Teams many many years ago. The definition I use is the following. It's a team is a small group of people who work in collaboration and hold each other mutually accountable to achieve a common purpose and set of performance goals. Small group of people working in collaboration, holding each other mutually accountable to achieve a common purpose and a set of performance goals. Okay. So that's a mouthful, really. Small group, collaborative, mutually accountable, common purpose towards a common goal, right? That's right. So, um, and we see teams all over. We see teams in all kinds of organizations. And so I think it might help our listeners just foundationally to understand um, when you, two things really. When you talk about a team, are you talking about uh, a group of three or four? Are you talking about a group of 12? Is there an ideal number for a team? Well, the in my early days working with teams, I worked with a, a couple of large computer manufacturing companies who were really leading the way back in the late 90s and early 2000s. And one of the numbers that was coming up consistently back then was the number seven okay. as being the ideal size for a team, mm-hmm. plus or minus two, so anywhere from five to nine. Okay. It's a set of numbers that's hotly debated because is it true or not? I, my experience says that seven is a good number for a team. I think five or nine are good critical limits. When you get above nine, um, it, it becomes more difficult to be in a truly collaborative form, and, and a lot of teams revert to a, a form called working group, and the working group might become the more predominant. We can talk about that if you wish. And underneath five, I think you could still have teams, but if they're smaller, um, you might revert back into working group format. Okay, great. So a team is a small group, ideally seven, uh, plus or minus two. I know I've, I've worked with uh, groups that call themselves teams that have been in the teens, you know, like 18 people, and it feels really unwieldy as a team. Uh, so I think there are advantages to this idea that it is a small group so that people can work together. And I'd like, I'd like if you could, to talk through a little bit what are some, what are some of the advantages of Inside of organizations. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I think this is important because what what I have seen over the years is that a certain number of organizations are are using teams really for teams' sake. Mm-hmm. The idea that teaming is a good thing to do because X Y Z competitors doing it or some best practice. And I think it's important to understand um, that there's a real reason for them. I'll point to six advantages that I've I've talked about over the years. The first advantage is around competitiveness. I think teams are more competitive by virtue of bringing folks together who can work on a common problem and a common challenge. You get get more, more individuals focused. 
You get more energy and drive. You get collaboration and you get more skill sets applying themselves to, to a common problem. So there's a competitive piece to it. I think they can be cost efficient. Um, they integrate well into process-based organizations. You can get rid of functional silos. You can reduce layers. Um, you can let go of some of the, 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 the real thick silos that exist. And when you walk into team sharing, um, team sharing units, um, I think you can get more production and more productivity. So there is a cost piece to it. I'm going to keep going. Uh, yeah, but I'm just curious if you can um, make it really clear. What do you mean by team sharing units? Um, I think um, a, a team sharing unit is um, where it's just another name for team, but sort of in a, in a cost perspective. Um, if you think of a, of a cost unit, there are individual units, there are team units, there are group units. I'm just using the form of a team sharing unit is more of sort of a cost-based. Um, okay. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just a technical term. Okay, so in that sense, they are more cost-efficient. So they're, they're more competitive and they're more cost-efficient. What's your third? I think they're more productive. I think uh, you can get much more. Um, you can get much more output for less input. Um, when when people come together to work together and they share the collective skills, um, they enhance their ownership and their commitment. There's more trust. There's less redundancy. There's more. There's more sharing, and I think you get a lot more bang for your buck, if you will. Okay, great. So there, are, I'm sure there are people out there who who think, gosh, you know, I've been on teams. And I wouldn't say they were more productive, but we can get to that later. <laughs> uh, but in, in the ideal, I guess, what you're saying is that when a team is working well, they're more productive, there's more trust, there's more output, more or less money, there's more sharing and less redundancy. Which that's the that, ideal. Yeah, that's the ideal. Okay, great. So what's number four? Well, if so, maybe there's an if here. If 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 the team is operating well and it's operating like we'd like it, uh, the fourth is that they're more change ready. What I've seen in teams that are operating at a high level is that uh, they adapt quickly to new systems, new environments, by leveraging complementary skills. Uh, they're more flexible. They're more adaptable. They can be formed. They can be refocused. And you find that um, if they're really in a strong collaboration mode, they can take on a, new challenges quicker than individuals can, and they can take on those problems and solve them quicker than individuals can. Yeah, so um, that, of course, can be incredibly advantageous. And what, what comes to mind is what you spoke about last time, about the team that had really come together over a year or two and figured out how best to work together, how best to adapt, how best to make decisions so that when the, when a really huge uh, problem came up, they were able to move quickly to solve it and to solve it and to solve it in a quick and efficient way, which is something I think you said that the leader and the team both said that they would not have been able to do had they not done this work on themselves. Is that right? That's right. Okay. So this adaptability, agility, really, is what I think I'm hearing. Mm, all right, nice great. word. Yeah. <laughs> we all like to think of ourselves as agile, and <laughs> sometimes <laughs> when change comes, we're not so agile. So being change-ready and being able to adapt quickly is a really wonderful quality for a team. Okay, so that's four. You said you had six. So what's number five? So the fifth one is uh, one that I call a sense of community. You know, when we look at the 
the predominant categories of, of human communities that we have, whether it's family, friends, social groups, civic duties, perhaps religious affiliations. And there's the workplace. And more and more of our time is spent at the workplace. And the, the roles of the first four have changed. You know, we spend less time in our traditional communities and more time at work. Teams, when they're functioning well, when there's a true sense of collaboration, can provide a nice sense of community, a social fabric, if you will, that provides a place to not just work, but also have some social time to share and to engage with others. And it's an important, I think it's important, and, and we're all different, and we don't all need so much community, but for many of us, to have that place to work um, called the team unit can be, can be very beneficial. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, in terms of the amount of time that people spend at work. And I've, I always think inside of myself that what I want to do and what all of my clients want to do and what everybody by extension who's on a team wants to do is contribute and to be seen as a contributor because contributions actually create that community. Would you agree with that? I do. Yeah. Great. And given that we spend so much time at work, it's really good to have it. <laughs> Have it work for you. Uh, work. <laughs> right. All right. Great. All right. What's your last one? Number six. Number six is around growth opportunities. Um, I mean, obviously, in today's organization, there's a premium placed on individuals who can be flexible, perform a variety of functions. Um, individuals um, who can expand their knowledge, um, prove their ability to work with others, work across cultures, work across boundaries, work across functions. You know, to, to the, the individual contributor sitting in a silo uh, today is, is going to be challenged with success. So teams provide that place where common purpose and set of common performance goals uh, can really lead to um, you know, m- more uh, exposure, more experience, more diverse experience, more diverse people, and therefore more growth opportunities. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about growth opportunities, you're talking about for individuals. I right? am. For indi- okay, great. So, so there's something in it for the individual to be on a team that's working and functioning, functioning smoothly. And smoothly is probably not the right word, but able to function and move through, move through conflict. All right. So those are great. That's uh, for those of you who maybe didn't get all of those down. The six advantages that uh, Alexander spoke about are one, that teams are competitive. Uh, two, that they are more cost efficient. Three, that when they're running well, they're much more productive and more change ready. That's number four, more agile. Number five, an advantage is that they create a sense of community. And number six is that they offer a platform for people to actually expand and grow. So those are wonderful, Alexander. And when we come back, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, we're going to talk about what are some of the challenges of being on a team. Thanks very much. This is uh, Chris Wall, and I'm sitting in for Kate Ebner. And we will be back in a minute or two. Thank you. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. 
With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Good morning and thank you for listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is Chris Wall, your guest host. I'm sitting in for Kate Ebner, president and founder of the Nebo Company. For more great inspiration, resources, and tips on leadership, please visit www.nebocompany.com and sign up for their newsletter. Today I'm speaking with Alexander Caillet, who is a coach, consultant, team coach, and organizational strategist and the founder of the coaching and consulting firm 121.5, which is based in Boston. Welcome back, Alexander. Hey, Chris. Hey. So we just talked about the advantages of teaming, and those are really, I think, incredibly compelling. And I think um, this is great education for organizations, for HR professionals, and for leaders to really be able to talk about teaming in such a professional way. So let's now move to what are the challenges of being on a team? What have you, what have you noticed? And I, I know in your vast um, research and all the writing that you've done on teams, all the workbooks that you've written, that you've, you've identified some of the challenges of teaming. So let's go into that a little bit. Right. So there's two types of challenges. There's the challenge of setting up teams and running teams, and there's the challenge for individuals to be on teams. Which one of those are you interested in? Uh, I think I'm interested in both of them. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't we go with the challenge first of setting up a team and then the challenge of being on a team? Right. Well, you know, it's this is this is a conversation that I think consultants and coaches and facilitators who work in the team domain really need to have with their clients. I don't think it's had enough. I think people jump into teams wholesale without thinking it through. You know, we said earlier that they're cost effective. You know, one of the reasons why they're cost effective is that when you have team sharing compensation and bonus systems and, and you have performance systems that are geared towards pushing people in collaboration, then teams are going to focus on revenue production, cost reduction, customer satisfaction, and they're going to produce results and, you know, get those cost efficiencies. There are, the problem is, is that there are basically four challenges that I think organizations need to look, with, look at. The first is that results take time. Um, you know, productivity, products, and, and customer service may suffer at first. People just don't jump into teams and, 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 and do it well right away. For organizations that haven't done teams, they have to realize there's a curve here, and the curve's going to go slope south for a while. You may spend some money up front. You may not get the results you're looking for. You may have some discord and some issues in the team. And you have to 
stick with it enough to get through it to realize that the results are on the other end. I think sometimes organizations think that teams are some kind of magic pill, and they're not. They take time. So putting that time capsule you know, in your plan uh, will, will be helpful. Mm-hmm. So it's true, results take time, and teaming itself is, a, is almost an organic process, my experience. And so I, I'm really tracking with what you're saying. And I'm sure people who have been on teams also have felt the pressure of someone wanting results faster than the team was actually able to produce them. That's right. So that's a challenge. It's a challenge. There's some tension between uh, the sponsor of the team or the leader of the team and the team members that needs to be negotiated and understood. Right. Great. Okay, so that's the first challenge. It's just to help people understand that results take time. I love that. What's the second one? The second one is that not everyone's going to play. Um, I, th- I think we have we have to understand that not everyone wants to be on a team. Not everyone is a team player. Not everyone will want to collaborate. Some some people just uh, don't feel comfortable. It's not their way of working. And I see organizations that really force people into full blown, highly collaborative, open team cultures. And for some people, it's it can be a very difficult um, a very difficult experience. So. Not everyone's going to play. We have to understand that. We have to make team structures a bit more flexible. Sometimes teams are best as working groups, and um, sometimes some people just won't be on them. And if organizations can be more flexible with that and understand those parameters, they're going to have a better time of it. Okay. So I'm fascinated by, you know, this idea that not everyone wants to play, yet you might be called to play on a team right. that you don't particularly want to play on. And so you're saying that, that if you have team structures that are flexible, that actually helps a person like that. And I'm curious if you can make a distinction between what you're calling a team, and you've used this word working group a couple of times in this conversation. How, how is a working group um, different from, uh, actually I'm not answering the, asking the question right, uh, when you think of team, you can think of a, an intact team or you can think of a working group. Is that right? Well, you can think of many different types. Um, those are just two of several. Okay. Yeah. So, so what distinguishes a working group? I think that's the question. Well, you know, it's the, the, the continuum from, let's say, a, a command and control structure to team has a lot to do with uh, the roles and responsibilities of the leader mm-hmm. and the amount of collaboration that's going to be built between the members. So in, in, in the command and control structure, what we see is a leader who will own and hold most of the decision-making and of the authority functions and be working one-off with different individuals in their own personal siloed work. As we move over to the team, the leader becomes first among equals, shares the decision-making, shares the authority, and then brings together a group of people to work towards a common purpose that all work towards with mutual accountability. The silos must disappear by virtue of the common purpose the team is accountable for. Right. And the working group sits in the middle where there's some sharing and some not. The leader's holding on to some decisions, letting go of others. There's a common purpose there, but there's also strong silos that need to be attended to, and it's a mix. Okay. And so you're saying that that kind of a more flexible structure actually gives people more leeway to play? Uh, 
for well, I'm trying to tie that to yeah. not everyone wants to pray. And maybe what I said earlier wasn't totally accurate. Let, let, let me reframe it. I think the working group allows individuals who aren't ready for the full-blown, open, collaborative, shared model to operate more effectively. So, okay. Now, however, if you must team and you're in the full team model, then I think it's incumbent upon the leader and members to realize that not everyone's ready for it. And in that sense, not to demand that everyone be as open and as, as collaborative um, as everyone else, that there are different styles and that different styles can be honored where the same amount of contribution is made perhaps in a different way. I think it's when we force people in a mode of operation that's collaborative and open and all of this that certain people say, that's just not me. Mm-hmm. And that's when we get into trouble. That's right. And so there's a role for the leader there, which we can talk about in a little bit. But I want to get your other, other two, um, your other two challenges. So we've got results take time and not everyone wants to play. What's number three? Number three links to number one, which is you're going to put up some upfront investments. Um, you're going to spend some money. And this is something that um, is fairly inevitable. You may need to do some training. Uh, you may need to handle team member issues and conflicts. You may need to invest in a tool set, maybe a consultant or a coach. Um, you're going to probably deal with some upfront productivity breakdowns, maybe some product glitches, some poor customer service. And if you're going to go down the route of putting in place some human resource systems, like team-based compensation, team-based performance reviews, then you're going to have to invest some time there. So be ready to spend some money. And because you're spending the money up front, it links into the fact that you're probably going to have to wait a bit to see the results. Great. So you've you've mentioned this idea of team-based compensation a couple of times in this conversation. I'm wondering how many um, many teams have you worked with where that's actually been a piece of it? It it almost sounds like, uh, you know, if you're on a team, you don't particularly want to be there. If somebody gives you a a little bit of money in compensation for it, all of a sudden, that's a motivator to okay. I'm I'm a team player now. Um, but I, but I, I mean, have you seen that? Yeah. Well, I often kid with my clients. I say, you want collaboration? You know, make fifty uh, percent of the bonus team based. People will collaborate uh-huh. overnight. Yeah. Um, you 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 want the, the that the reason why people get promoted into senior roles is that in the performance reviews they have to hit high high scores on their team-based dimensions, you're going to get people who are team-based. So mm-hmm. organizations, and there are plenty, who, who really align the HR systems to team and collaboration and achieve results, but the problem is not many do. Mm-hmm. And so we're Great. stuck with organizations that favor predominantly individual-centric performance, asking them to be in teams. Mm-hmm. Which could actually end up costing you more on the investment side. And on the morale side, because then right. you get people who are saying, wait a minute, I'm in this team, we're failing, it's because of him and her, I'm getting dinged, I never signed up for this, I'm out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there really is a role for the leader in terms of influencing these team members. We'll get to that. How about the fourth um, challenge that you were thinking about? Well, the fourth one's tough, and I call it organizational barriers. Uh, let's just say that certain organizational cultures just cannot embrace teams. Um, teams are best built in organizations with high performance standards, and some organizations just aren't going to do it. 
organizations that have strong individual performance standards are going to be hard. HR systems that don't align at all with collaboration, and worse. For me, the, the killer is when the senior members of the organization, the ones at the top, are doing anything but teaming, but requesting that everyone else does. You're going to get a possibility that teams just may not work. And yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I've seen that in my own practice, and I know sure. I've seen that. You know, we've all seen that. Anyone who's done any sort of coaching or organization development consulting has seen uh, a group of people, say, at the vice president level, who want to really make something happen. And the top says, sure, you know, we support that, et cetera. Yet at the top, we can't get decisions. At the top, there's no mutual accountability. At the top, there's no uh, ownership and responsibility for what happens. And that sends such a mixed message. And it does, that is, that that would be an organizational barrier. Yes. I agree with that. So we've got six advantages and four challenges. This is looking good for teams. We are going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Chris Wall. I'm sitting in for Kate Ebner on Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. and welcome back to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is Chris Wall, guest host today, and today we're talking more deeply about what makes a team high-performing, which is a very, very critical component of business success. We're talking with team expert consultant and coach Alexander Caillé. Alexander, you have given us already a treasure trove of information about what makes teaming an advantage for business and what the challenges are for people being on teams. And we kind of uncovered the fact that there's always a challenge for the leader and there's a challenge for the people who are on the team. And especially on the road to becoming a high-performing team, we might hit some bumps. So I would love if you could help our listeners understand this idea of bumps in formation by giving us an example. So in your vast experience, I know you've worked in 30 countries with Lord knows how many teams, Do you have a story you can tell us about a team that faced some challenges and talk to us about some of the challenges that they faced? Yeah, I sure can. 
And I think what we'll weave into here is the, the second set of challenges with teams, which are the personal challenges. Okay, good. Greg, in the previous segment, we talked just about the organizational challenges. So let, let me make this brief in the setup. <clears throat> this is a, okay. a, a Fortune, let's say a Fortune 200 organization. It's consumer products, and this is the operations division. So they're the ones who run the supply chain, the demand forecasting, do all of the background work of making sure the products are, are, are manufactured and are delivered and are properly forecasted and launched. Okay, they're what you might call the back office. We call them operations, and this is the team that runs this organization. You have a head of operations. You have three individuals who run the operations for the different product units. So you have three strong individuals. You have an HR person. You have a finance person. You have a head of engineering, and one or two other people on this team. So you've got three, almost nine people on this team. One. That's right. So we're at the critical uh-huh. limit at the top end, right? Yep. Okay. Right. So when I met them, the issue was this. The operations organization was running over in their costs, too costly, some ineffectiveness, service level issues, both with customers, external and internal, meaning that the, the, the stores they delivered to weren't getting things on time, getting product on time. Their internal customers they were servicing weren't happy with the service. All in all, it's an organization that was faltering and people were leaving. So they had a double whammy of, you know, upset customers and upset employees. And can I ask you one question? What kind of pressure were they under from a business point of view? Huge. The the CEO and the, the, the corporate team on which the COO sat was just pressuring them every day. We want better service. We want better results. You've got to reduce your costs. You've got to stop bleeding people. And honestly, they were stuck in not being able to figure out how to do it. They had a huge challenge. They had numbers. They had numbers that they had to meet. They had results they had to show. And they were having customers, both internally and externally, who just weren't satisfied with the service that they were getting. That's right. And people are leaving. Did you say bleeding people? Yeah, they, well, they were calling it that bleeding people, yeah. Uh-huh. So, so they're really in a, they're in a crisis. Yeah, it was a crisis. Mm-hmm. And the, the COO, to his credit, knew that this group of people had to come together as a team. He knew <clears throat> that they were operating in silos. <clears throat> they were very individual-based. They didn't have their mind on the overall organization. There was infighting, there were non-collaborative behaviors, and he was frankly sick of it, and his job was on the line. So there was a lot of pressure here to transform this. It wasn't even a working group anymore, a group of people into a real team. Right. So this is the kind of thing you love, right? You love coming in and working with a leader who who has many, many challenges that, that, in this case, he was facing, right? That's right. Okay. Okay, so those were the challenges. And tell me, um, what was required of what was required of you? I, I'm I'm assuming you were helping this leader as and coaching this leader. Uh, what was your approach to helping them see and reflect and shift how they were seeing their work? Right. So now we go back to call one. So the first thing was really to understand what was going on to get a clear sense for the issues. 
So interviewing the team members was primary, my assessment, interviewing the team leader and some folks outside who were observing this team or this non-team in action. And when that assessment was done, writing up a report that I shared with the leader and the team, and they all got a glimpse of their issues as stated by them. Mm-hmm. So, so, so they couldn't say to you, gee, you made this up, because this was all from their mouths, right? That's right. And the leader, <laughs> um, in, in, in a real bold move, decided to go for the team coaching versus the team consulting or facilitation, because he <clears throat> was willing for me to jump in live, make the interventions live as the group was working, but more importantly, to coach him live in front of the team as they worked. And that's the real differentiation with team coaching, that the leader is willing to get coached live in front of the team, so that the team itself can get coached live, and then hopefully later, team members as well. Okay. So this is a controversial idea, the idea of coaching the leader in front of his team around breakdowns that the team is having having as a collective. That's right. It's controversial, and there are a lot of coaches and consultants who are a little um, hesitant, I guess is the softest way to say it, hesitant to actually notice something out loud about the leader during what we call a real team work session. And you're telling me that this is what you did with this COO whose job was on the line and whose team was at infighting and... Uh, non-collaboration and no accountability. That's right. Now, why? Because in the interview feedback and in the external of the team feedback, it came back that he was one of the issues. And it was clear. Um, And what came out as the presenting issues where we're not clear about our purpose. Now we go back to the definition. We're not clear about our common purpose. We're not clear about our performance goals. We don't collaborate. We don't hold each other mutually accountable. It was as if you would take the definition, peel it apart, and each component part was just there in dysfunction. Right. And it became clear that it was a combination of sometimes what I call hardware and software. There was the hardware of, you know, we don't have purpose and goals and planning and clear roles. And then we don't have the software, which is we don't manage conflict. We don't know how to manage conversations. We don't know how to communicate with each other. So he liked the idea of there's some hardware, technical stuff, and then there's some software, human stuff. Mm-hmm. So each person on this team had to put themselves into a new mindset. And it sounds like the leader did too. And it sounds like you started the work with the team in some ways by finding a way to coach the leader first. Right. So in team coaching, one of the things that I request, and actually if it's denied for me, the, the engagement is off, is that I have a private coaching relationship with a team leader that resembles very much an executive coaching engagement. Mm-hmm. And that's off, that that's, you know, outside the team once or twice a week, once or twice a month, excuse me, we coach and I help that leader work through the different issues. And I started working with him and we put together a sequence of events. It was clear that purpose and goals would go first, followed by clarity around roles and decision-making methods. At the same time, as they were working on real issues and working that out, we would then start to take a look at their communication. We would look at their conflict management. We would look at how they manage conversations. And we'd look at some of the deeper issues around trust and around ownership, which are at the core 
of mutual accountability. Right. So that's that's a lot. So that is a lot for a leader to hold on to, <clears throat> yeah. a lot for a team coach to hold on to. So let me ask you, what was required of the leader to be able to be, well, really, in some ways, be vulnerable enough to accept that things were on the line, not only for him but for the team? What was required of him to pull this team uh, together and to get it moving in a more efficient and effective way? What does a leader have to do? Wow. What was required of him? Um, but the first thing that was required of him is for him to understand really what team coaching was and what this was going to do and to have faith that the this idea of intervening real time, of actually having his team stop once in a while, observe the way they were working, and make real-time corrections was going to lead to something more than the past team-building stuff they had done. That was number mm-hmm. one. Number two, and I have to say, it took a heck of a lot of courage. Um, you know, we over the years, I've become so... Um, respectful, deeply respectful of leadership and especially of team leadership. It, it, it took a heck of a lot for this man who was approaching 60 to <clears throat> submit himself to a live examination. And that took a lot of courage. It takes so much courage. And so that is one of the things that he had to step into was a new way of being in front of his team. So what happened when you coached him in front of the team? How did that affect the team itself? Well, like... That takes courage, too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but it takes courage for him to be leading a team meeting, to be talking about all of these, you know, competing commitments and pressure, and then to be coached live by you <laughs> in front of his seat. Yeah. Yes, right. but you get, you get where I'm going here, right? I do, and so the short answer is you start easy and you start slow and you start on good things. You coach him on strengths and things that are working well, so you don't jump in with the hard pieces. But, you know, it's amazing how once you do it once, it seems so normal to do it. Um, the first pieces were around uh, the way that he was or was not managing the agenda or allowing for conversations to be derailed. And so there was just a bit of, of, of having him notice that he was allowing that to happen. Then there was... Another piece around how he was not really getting firm about getting clear agreements and making sure the decisions were done and logged. And so he noticed how he let those go. And there was something else about how he um, liked to pile on issues, stack issues, and not just drive one piece of conversation forward. And as he noticed it, he actually got very happy about it. And the team was both amazed that he did it but not surprised. And then they very quickly adapted the learning and dropped into this new work that he was role modeling. And before you knew it, I was coaching the team. And actually, some team members said, hey, feel free to coach me if this is the way it looks. You know, it doesn't look like it's anything too difficult. Yeah. So I think you just described what most people's experience has been on the team. We, we don't always have an agenda. Uh, the conversation gets derailed. Uh, we're not clear on what we're agreeing to. And um, we pile on to each other, et cetera, et cetera. And so by calling attention to it with the leader, he gets happy. He gets more empowered around, oh, I can see some moves I can make that are different. And then the team, which naturally wants some coherence, starts to follow. What a great, great point. And so, 
Just two, two, two last, just quick seconds. There was also the work on the hardware of having the leader drive through common purpose goals and roles. So there was some really technical work that he had to do, drive through the process, declaring it as important, driving it, standing for it, being strong about it, and taking his team through it so they could have that purpose and goals and roles, which alleviated a lot of the confusion and distrust. Right. So I'm, I am really excited by what you're saying, and I'm sure that a lot of the people listening are getting some great ideas about what they might be able to do different on their teams. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about uh, really what the leader can do um, and really what team members can do for our final segment. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hello again and welcome back. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your guest host, Chris Wall. Today I'm talking with Alexander Kaye. We've had an amazing conversation about teams. He is a team coach who is also on the faculty of the Georgetown University Leadership Coaching Program. If you are interested in learning more about that program, where Alexander actually and I, we actually teach a course on teams there, please visit the Georgetown University website, Continuing Education, or contact Nebo Company at info at nebocompany.com. So, Alex, this is our last little segment, and we just finished a really good story about a team that was uh, being led by a leader who allowed himself to be vulnerable and uh, do what do what he needed to do to bring the team together. And so I'm thinking that that leader was incredibly lucky to have you as his team coach, and the team was lucky. And we talked about the impact of the coaching on the team. I'm curious... For the leaders who do not have a team coach at their disposal, let's say a leader is visionary, and we all know that visionary leaders are forward-looking and that they need to somehow convey their vision to the team. What tips or advice would you give to a leader who doesn't have a team coach and who wants to pay attention to the fundamentals of a team, the common purpose, the mutual accountability, the collaboration, the goals, 
the roles, the responsibilities, all the things you mentioned, what would you advise a leader who really believes that they've got a great team and they can do it on their own? What do they need to to pay attention to? Let me make this succinct and and, and, and collapse it a bit. Um, I'm going to point to four different areas, okay? One, Uh on the hardware is my client uh, used. Um, To make sure, absolutely sure, that common purpose and performance goals are clear and that goals are quantifiable and they're measurable, that the goals are common and that the purpose is common, and to really make sure that's clear. And that Um, people are bought into it, right? They're bought into it, and they're willing to do it, and they're ready to go for it, and that their performance is linked to it, either formally or informally, just through appreciation or recognition. So that's absolutely key. Along with that then comes to be make sure that the team members are clear about their roles, their responsibilities, but really importantly, their decision-making. What decisions are they accountable for and what decisions do they get to make that are not going to be vetoed by somebody else, but that are theirs, either through consensus or authority? Okay, great. Okay? Uh So those are three pieces there that are, and there's many more. And when you talk about hardware, to me this sounds like um, concepts or pieces of a structure that need to be there foundationally for a team to thrive. They have to have purpose goals. Yeah. Okay, so that, that's the hardware. It's not like actual hardware, but it's a, right. it's a structure, right? Yeah, and you can put planning in there, and there's effective tools that go into hardware. Um, you know, and then you sort of move over to the software and you overlap. I think, you know, we go down to some basics here. Do you really have good team meeting management and work session management? Do you know how to run a meeting? Do you know how to run conversations? Do you bring your meetings to decision-making? Do you get clear agreements? Do you have agreements logs and decision logs? Do you follow up on those things? Or are you just not doing that? And this is basic, but the number of executive teams I see who don't do the basics is is pretty astounding. Mm -hmm. I'm always amazed when I walk into organizations and one of my clients says, you know, I'm, we're going to a very big meeting today. Uh, it's been on the calendar for uh, three weeks. It's an all-day meeting for our team to get aligned. And I'll say, oh, great, so what's the agenda? And right. they'll look at me and say, we don't have an agenda. And so, so and I, this happens over and over where people walk into meetings really without an agenda. They know what a topic is, but they don't have an agenda. They don't necessarily know how they're going to contribute so right. team management is a, is a really important part of what a leader can do. And, you know, it tucked inside of that is what I call conversation management. This is an area where I see teams that are even um, uh, more ill-equipped. You know, is your conver- what, what is your conversation about? What's the work session about? Is it about idea generation, solution generation? Is it just sharing or are you looking for decisions? Are you managing conversations so you go from idea to proposal to solution to decision? Are you more creative? What's the nature? And within that, what are your speech acts? Are you making clear requests? Are you making clear agreements? You know, th- th- there's so much fuzziness here that what I find is that most conversations, A, don't have a beginning or an end. They don't go anywhere. They're not managed, and they don't lead to anything except a bunch of stacked ideas, and people walk away saying that was a total waste of time. Right, and this is exactly what we don't want. I'm always telling my leader clients, you know, when you go into the meeting, be clear on what it is you want to accomplish. And you and I have talked about something called an OPO, which you could share with us. But um, I always say, 
if you do nothing else, make sure you finish a conversation. <laughs> right? Right. It's crazy. I mean, it is. It, you know, we, 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 yeah, well, you know, we know. Yeah. Yeah. So, finish, so that's a great tip. Finish a conversation. So I mentioned this thing called the OPO. Can you very, like, in 30 seconds tell the leaders out there what OPO is and how that might help their meeting management? Most of my clients use it now. You know, OPO is very simple. It's if you if you if you're going to have a team member run a session, run a subject, run a topic in a meeting, um, they must present an OPO, objective process outcome. What's the objective of the session? What are the clear outcomes, quantifiable? But most importantly, what's the process you're going to use to run your session? I find that there's a real intellectual laziness in most teams around. You give me two hours on the, on the clock to present something, and people show up with a PowerPoint, and that's it. They have not thought about engineering the session to achieve an outcome. Besides, mm-hmm. I'm going to show up, we're going to talk, and we're going to make a decision. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. How, how yeah. the heck do you want to do that? And that P of OPO is something I spend a lot of time with teams uh, learning. Uh, learning about process. And this goes back to one of your... Uh, maybe the challenges of the team where you talked about investment. Yeah. So there is an investment, really, in helping people on a team learn how to be intentional about the objectives that they want to achieve and how they want to achieve those objectives, which is the process. I believe that. So, yeah. I uh, When you and I worked with a team together, the OPO was like a, uh, like a magical... It was like a magical thing that came into the room because all of a sudden people could organize themselves around that concept. Absolutely. So, um, so thank you for thank you very much. One so, last piece, since we're out of time, I'll just quickly run in for leader. Um, has to do with what we talked about earlier about the personal problems. Um, there's an old model called the Tuckman model of, of, of forming, storming, norming, performing. Yeah. And actually, it's those four plus dorming, transforming. And if we just focus on forming for a moment, I think what leaders need to do is to make sure they form well. If they form well, the storming will go shorter. Mm-hmm. And forming is a critical piece that most team leaders walk right by. So mm-hmm. in forming, there's four things to focus on that people really hold inside their hearts as important. Mm-hmm. Identity, integration, influence, and individual goals. Make sure people understand who their identities are. So what is my identity? Make sure they understand how they're integrated into the team through their roles and their contributions and their decision-making. Make sure they understand what the leadership influence model is. And finally, make sure they can state their individual goals and needs so that their individual goals and needs can be met while they are trying to meet the team's common purpose. So those four eyes of forming, if a leader focuses on that, they're going to have a much better time of bringing people on board. That's wonderful, and that is paying attention to the people. And we find that if we pay attention to the people, it's easier to pay attention to the task. You got it. So, um, Alexander, we have about 30 seconds left. Is there any one final thing that you would like to say about this whole concept of teaming? Yeah, I will. Um, Teaming's not easy. Many organizations don't do well at it, but when they do, the bottom line is the bottom line. I've seen again and again and again how organizations who do this well reduce their costs, increase their sales, increase their profitability and productivity, and they beat the competition. There is a business reason for this that is real and uh, compelling. Okay, great. Thank you so much. We're at the end of our time. 
appreciate what a thought-provoking and informative conversation we've had. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to be on this hour with you, Alexander, and with all those who are listening. Please write to the Nebo Company at info at nebocompany.com to learn more about teaming, leadership development, and courses that you can take as a leader or a coach to better work with teams. You have been listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. May you all live into your visions and feel the wonder in your life. Thank you again. Bye. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 